0: Welcome all, um, if um, you haven't got one, let me tell you that there's a handout, um, Deb, are you here?
1: Yes.
0: Deb's here. Um, I'm, uh, I'm legally blind and I uh, can see some things, but not a lot, like, could everybody raise their hands? Yeah, I only see about half of them. So anyway, uh, <laughs> um, please uh, bear with me and... <laughs> um, because I thought I asked everybody to raise their hands, and I only saw the left side of the room la- raise uh, their hands so <laughs> i don 't know for sure you 're absolutely right I, uh, <laughs> but uh, such as like so okay, okay. now, um, as we uh, go through the class today, uh, we will read some, not all, <laughs> of the scriptures that are on the handout. And I'm going to ask those of you who are able and willing to do so. So, when uh, I ask for a scripture to be read, please don't wait for somebody else if you're able and willing. You know, just dive right in there and and say, I will, or or something. And uh, I'll uh, uh, appreciate that very much. Um, Well, let's pray. Heavenly Father, As we gather together, in the name of your Son, Jesus, we ask you to fill us with your Spirit and speak to us. Uh, May we uh, get to know you better and love you better, (laughs) trust you more, uh, and live as Your faithful children. Make us, conform us more into the image of your Son, uh, we ask. Uh, Amen. Uh, Several weeks ago, uh, Tyler asked me to uh, teach this class on God's immutability one in a series of classes on the attributes of God, a subsection of what we might call systematic theology. Uh, and a little bit later, I told a friend uh, that I was going to teach on the immutability of God, and he responded with something like, um, oh, that is, can you get God to shut up? Um, and he made that attempt at Huber. <laughs> be, you know, thinking of mute, um, you know, and those of us who have phones or, you know, participate in Zoom meetings, and somebody maybe not familiar with systematic theology, you know, when you speak of immutability, no, I can't mute that person. and I wish I could. Um, but what that indicates to me is that the meanings of words change over a period of time. If you ask somebody in the United States 150 years ago, you know what immutability means, they would say, well, it means that whatever you're describing does not change. Um, uh, But today, that's uh, less clear to a lot of people who uh, uh, we live with. Um, So much so that The author of the systematic theology that I recently got, because I can't read much anymore, uh, uh, I got an audible book. um, And uh, the author of that book um, changed uh, the topic in his systematic theology from immutability to unchangeability, um, which I I think is not a bad thing to do. And I'm even taking it one step further, changing the title uh, of the the class from unchangeability or immutability to the question, does God change? Um, Well, however, you'd uh, like to think about it, uh, as we go through this study together, um, uh, you might be expecting that I will. Uh, give you a concise and clear conclusion about the subject. Uh, Clean uh, and clear. And when I got assigned the subject, I thought I'd be able to do that. Hey, does God change? No. (laughs) You know, uh, how much more simple uh, can it be? But as I studied it and looked at what the Bible said... Though I think I learned some important and good things, uh, the goal that I had of tying up you know, all the loose ends didn't happen. So uh, today's lesson might be described better as an exercise in systematic theology that we'll do together rather than uh, just the presentation of, of my uh, uh, clear and complete study. Um, well... Uh, As we talk about change, just to give it some thought context, uh, as we think about our world, there are some things that don't seem to change much, like the sun or the stars or a mountain. And then there are things that seem to change quite a bit, like weather uh, or the news. Uh, People, for the most part, are somewhere in between those, you know, We look at our bodies over a period of days or even a few years, maybe somebody wouldn't detect any change. Or in our personality over a period of time, uh, they might not detect any change. Um, But somebody's opinion about uh, something or how they react to a certain um, um, impulse, input, uh, might change. And because the Bible describes God as a person, uh, that might help us a little bit think about when we speak about the question, does God change? Um, you know, as a person, you know, uh, does he change in some ways? Does he not change in any way? Uh, I suggest that that would be a helpful uh, idea to keep in mind um, well, with that in mind let 's read the first two uh, scriptures that you 'll find on your handout, um, and would somebody be ready to read uh, the numbers passage twenty three nineteen and again, the proper response is yes <laughs> uh, if you 're able and willing. Uh, Good. And would somebody else be uh, willing to read that second passage? uh, Several verses, Isaiah 38, 1 through 5. All right. Uh, Ralph, please read.
1: Verse 19 God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should change his mind. Does he speak and then not act? Does he promise and not fulfill?
0: Very good. Thank you.
1: Read the
0: Very good. Yes. Uh, feel free to use uh, whatever version you have available to you. Um, but uh, thank you. Um, and uh, the other, uh, so please read um, the Isaiah passage. So this Isaiah 38, 1 through 5. In those days, Hezekiah
1: became sick and was at the point of death. And Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, came to him and said to him, Thus says the Lord, Set your house in order, for you shall die, and you shall not recover. Then Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord, and said, Please, O Lord, remember how I have walked before you in faithfulness and with a whole heart, and have done your good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. Then the word of the Lord came to Isaiah, Go and tell Hezekiah, Thus says the Lord, the God of David, your father, I have heard your prayer, I have seen your tears. Behold, I will
0: add 15 years to your life. Thank you. Now, uh, as some people would look at these two passages, they would see uh, a tension or a paradox. Others may not, but uh, let me tell you what I see. Um, in the Numbers passage, it is said of God, Does he speak and not act? And I th- think that means, Does he say he's going to do something? and then not do it but in the Isaiah passage uh, God makes clear to Hezekiah that he's going to die soon he's not going to recover from the illness he speaks but then his action is something else he does not in a sense do what he said he was going to do so so this is an example of the challenge of doing uh, systematic theology. Systematic theology can be thought of um, studying uh, what all of the Bible teaches about a particular topic. Um, in this case, uh, uh, the unchangeability of God, or does God change? Um, And so sometimes you have passages in Scripture which seem to be in tension with one another. Um, For those and other reasons, uh, systematic theology is a really good idea because if you don't look at all of what the Bible says about a topic, you'll have uh, unorganized theology instead of an organized or systematic theology. So... um, uh, doing systematic theology is a good thing um, but unless you are a genius and have lots of time to study the Bible uh, you're going to be at a great disadvantage if you don't stand on the shoulders of the giants who have gone before you with regard to uh, the study of the Bible and systematic theology um, and so uh, <clears throat> I uh, certainly recommend uh, when you're studying a topic like this to see what others have said. And again, the book that I uh, have listened to on this topic and uh, was a foundation for my study is Systematic Theology by Wayne Gruden. Um, And here is his summary statement about uh, the unchangeability of God. Um, and I, as I read it, I'd like you to think about this question. Do I think this is right? You know, based on my knowledge of the Bible, such as it is, this, does this sound like a good summary of what all of the Bible teaches about God and change? Um, God is unchanging in his being, his perfections, purposes, and promises. Yet, God Does act and feel, uh, feel emotions. Um, I should probably have somebody else reading this. Uh, Tyler, would you be willing to pick up on? Yes, God
2: does act and feel emotions, and He acts and feels differently in response to different situations.
0: Thank you. All right. Uh, So, how does that sound to you? Uh, Do you find yourself in strong agreement with it? Maybe agreement, or nah, I think there are some significant errors. Uh, um, uh, strong agreement based on your present thought. Strong. 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 I, don't, I have no idea how many hands are up there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, were there a few? Uh, are there any for, mm, you know, not sure. I'll ask Deb to tell me. One. Okay, and how many, no, I think there are some real problems uh, with this. Um, And I'd almost raised my hand on this at this point, because when I first read it, I thought, yes, this is good, but as I started reading through scriptures that Gruden presented and others, I thought, ah, boy. Uh, And maybe the biggest problem I have is the word promise because, again, uh, the meanings of word changes uh, in a culture. Um, and, uh, but in any case, whatever your initial impression, why don't we take this as uh, somebody who's studied a lot and who has studied other people who've studied a lot and go through the parts and see what we think uh, the Bible teaches uh, about this. Um, So, uh, let's start with um, God uh, does not change in his being. Um, So, uh, would somebody please read uh, Psalm 102, uh, 25 through 27? Yes, thanks.
1: Uh, feel feel
0: free. Somebody else is going to want to surely want to beat you next time, but, but you have it this time.
1: In the beginning, you laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment, like clothing. You will change them, and they will be discarded. But you remain the same, and your years will never end. The children of your servants will live in your presence; their descendants will be established before you.
0: Thank you. So, to me, that sounds like a clear statement. Uh, God remains the same, and I read that. And uh, but I was expecting. Uh, well, actually, um, a, a number of other passages from the Psalms or. Uh, other parts in the the Bible, because this idea that God doesn't change was so, you know, firmly set in my mind. I thought there'd be a lot of texts that would explicitly say this. Um, But what Gruden presents, and what I could find, uh, only include the passages from Hebrews, about which um, Jesus is described, and this passage from Psalm 102 is quoted, and it's you know, refers to Jesus. Now, we who believe that Jesus is God would certainly say yes with regard to God's uh, divine nature. You know, this is reaffirmation that God doesn't change, and and I would agree with that. And then the second passage in Hebrews uh, says that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Um, so I think, ah, oh, boy, I expected more proof texts. That is texts that give evidence you know that God doesn't change for this but the fact that I accepted it so easily makes me think yeah all that I've read in the Bible even if it doesn't you know there aren't many passages that seem to be proof texts in my mind uh still it resonates with me like there's an implication of this you know over and over again throughout scripture so I say okay yeah I'm I'm willing to accept that. Uh, Any uh, thoughts or questions before we move on? Well, let's look at perfections then. And I didn't like this word. I thought characteristics uh, or character of God might communicate to us more clearly. Um, But uh, would somebody please read the Malachi passage, uh, Malachi 3, 6 and 7. Yeah, thanks.
2: For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. From the days of your father, you turn aside from my statues, and I kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord Jesus.
0: So what perfection of God is stated here that uh, doesn't change? What characteristics? faithfulness um, and that may be a really good answer but uh, can Josh or somebody else kind of spell that out how does this mean that God is faithful or, or you know what how is that at least implied because faithfulness I don't think does it appear in the passage uh. no. <clears throat> I
1: did get the same
0: Idea. Mm, yeah, good.
2: Yeah, this idea—they're not—they're not consumed because he has not changed, and so his promises have—he's he, still going to act according to the promises that he made to um, to them. So that his, say, faithfulness is why he's not consuming his people, even though they've disobeyed him. Mm. But there is a, but there also is a condition like return to me and I'll return to you. So it's not exactly uh,
0: So, um, and, and here's my systematic, yeah, I think you guys were all trying to do systematic theology here. You know, you're trying to take this passage and put it together with all that the rest of the Bible says about this issue. You know, and coming to a clear uh, statement of the teaching. And, and this is, was mine. Um, God remains the same in that when people repent, you know He responds to them. So you, you know, by implication, you could say God is a forgiving God, and He doesn't change with regard to that. Uh, but there's some theology there, uh, which is fine. We're doing systematic theology. We're we're trying to say, ah, okay, not just what this passage necessarily states, but but what it clearly implies, what it means for us. Um, So, um, and we have some uh, other passages there. Uh, I included um, the Lamentations one, which again is not a statement, but would somebody please read um, Lamentations 3.22, which is um, uh, the basis in part for the hymn, Great is Thy Faithfulness. Yes. Yes. The never ceases, His mercies never come to an end. Yeah. Um, so uh, it doesn't say it never changes, but at least it never disappears. <laughs> it never ceases to be. Uh, so close. Um, well, the next um, perfection, uh, or rather, uh, aspect of God which uh, is said not to change. Uh, are his purposes, and for this, I think, you know, there was lots of scriptural evidence, very clear, very direct, Uh, I don't list all of them here, but uh, would somebody please read Psalm 38, yeah, 11, (laughs) yeah, that one, thank you, thanks, thanks, All right. And would somebody read the several verses listed there for Ephesians? I got it. Thanks. (laughs) Ephesians
1: 1, verse 4 is For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. And then verse 11 is. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. And then did you want to
0: also... Yeah. Um, three, nine,
1: three, nine, two... Three, nine, two, to letter. Uh, in the middle of it, a sentence it says, And to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God, who created all things. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord.
0: Yeah. So, uh, I I think this teaching is very well supported uh, in, in Scripture. And uh, uh, maybe part of the reason for that is it has great practical importance for us. You know, what if God's purpose changed? You know, uh, uh, yes, at one time, I uh, my purpose was that everyone in Christ would be glorified. Ah, but the plan has changed. And uh, no, you know, uh, you experience the Holy Spirit in this life, but then you die and that's the end of you. That's, that's my new purpose. Uh, so um, it's... It's good to know. I'm so glad uh, to have this uh, this knowledge of God that His purpose uh, about His purposes don't change, uh, including His purpose for those of us who are in Christ. Um, now, uh, promise. Um, I'd like uh, both of these passages read. The um, the Numbers passage and the first Samuel passage. Uh, so somebody please read numbers. In fact, I think we've read it before, but bears repeating. God is not man that he should lie, or a son of men that he should change
1: his mind. Has he said it, and will he not do it? Or has he spoken
0: and will he not fulfill it? Hmm. Thank, thank you. you. And um, uh, my memory is that at least in one translation, the word promise is used. Uh, uh, but uh, even if it isn't used, it's implied there. And now will somebody uh, please read First Samuel 2.30. Got it.
2: Therefore the Lord, the God of Israel, declares, I promised that your house... And the house of your fathers should go in and out before me forever. But now the Lord declares, far be it from me, for those who honor me I will honor, me. and those who despise me shall be lightly esteemed.
0: Now, at least on first reading to me, it sounds like God made a promise, and he's saying, Nope, not anymore. <laughs> um and there are various ways uh we could understand that. Um One is what is meant by promise, Um, you know, that we might see different levels of a promise, like an oath, you know, is one level of a promise, or just saying something uh, might be seen as a promise, Uh, and um, uh, that certainly applies to people. Does it apply to God? You know, are there different kinds of, of promises? And um, I'm not, I certainly don't understand a lot of that long passage, Hebrews 6 through 7. But as I read it, I get the idea, you know, that it's uh, applying, uh, it's stating that there are promises and then there are promises. Um, and uh, it applies that in, for me, an unexpected way. Um, so, uh, you know, if, if I were editing Gruden here, you know, I'd cross out promises because, you know, I'm uh, I'm just not sure that leaving that statement as it is, is is the most helpful summary for me of what the Bible teaches. Maybe I'm wrong. Uh, very likely, am, but, that, you know, that's where I am in my current study. Well, here we are, and we have... Um, Uh, Well, just before we leave the areas in which Gruden says God is unchanging, um, let's talk about application. What difference does it make to us here and now that uh, God doesn't change in the way the Bible says he does not change?
1: God. It's not like we who God is today, and we orient ourselves in our purposes and priorities to him, but then, oh, man, tomorrow is different. We have to do this process. Uh, Because he's unchanging, we are able to orient our being not perfections, imperfections, purposes and promises around his character and nature rather than around our
0: own. Mm. Uh, We can, and boy, we we should. Uh, uh, Because it's the right thing to do because we have promises <laughs> in the Bible that God will bless uh, those who do just what uh, uh, was was said um, yeah
2: um, Matt drawing on something you said earlier about we don't have to kind of wonder whether God's going to come through because of his his fixed purposes. yeah um, I think that um, practically that that removes a lot of fear um and, and it really uh, in, engenders faith, uh, yeah. trust, Trust.
0: really. Uh, do you know anybody who, you know, seems to have the habit of saying they'll do something and then doesn't do it?
1: <laughs>
0: um, <sighs> God is not like that. Oh, and that is a good thing. Uh, joy, peace, uh, as we meditate on that. Uh, uh. All right. Well, um, we will move on. And uh, the next part of uh, Gruden's summary is um, that, uh, hmm, that's not what I want. Okay, here it is. Um, God... uh, hmm. I'm not reading this. Okay. Can somebody read the yet? That's good. Right there. Now, you might wonder, uh, you know, what's the big insight here? <laughs> uh, why in this section or description of God's unchangeability does Gruden feel that it's important to say God acts God feels emotion. And I think, pretty sure, the reason that he puts that in there is because in the history of theology, including the present, there are people who say things like, you know, if God really doesn't change, then he can't act or feel. You know, theologically or philosophically speaking, um, uh, you know, if we say that God is unchanging kind of like a mountain. You know, it doesn't act. It doesn't feel. It's frozen in time or in space. And if it were to do something, then that would change it. Um, you know, if it experienced an avalanche, then it will have changed. Um, so what Gruden, I think, is responding to is uh, something that can be called, um, hmm, does anybody see Process theology, which says, no, we really can't say that God doesn't change, because then he couldn't act or feel. Um, And even some really good uh, evangelicals maybe get a little bit of this, um, even though, and they may be right. For example, one of my favorite professors uh, at the seminary I went to many years ago uh, said that God really never felt grief. And so when talking about do not grieve the Holy Spirit, that passage, he would say, uh, you know, now God has things planned from the beginning. He, he knows, you know, the greater good that's coming through suffering. So he, he really never feels grief. And so we could say uh, the author there, uh, Paul, uh, you know, didn't really mean that God could feel grief. But speaking of God as if he were a person. You know, if we did this to a person, they would feel grief. So you don't want to do it. And, um, uh, uh, you know, and somehow it's saying, uh, so we shouldn't do this either, even though God really can't be grieved. Um, And it, it had that sense that, you know, God has the end plan from the beginning. He knows it has a great good. And so he really can't grieve about, you know, the best world, you know, that's come to be. Um, well there may be some logic to that. But said, doesn't he express grief over and over again as he interacts with the nation of Israel in the Old Testament? Probably. And then also with Jesus,
1: you know, that you know, we can just look at Jesus to see you know his emotions and his uh, feelings that are expressed throughout the gospel.
0: So here was my favorite theology professor at Gordon-Conwell Seminary, you know, uh, saying something. And at least from my perspective, he had this clear understanding of God based on an awful lot of Scripture. And then he took those parts of Scripture that didn't seem to quite fit with that and conformed them to his systematic theology. You know, I agree with what Debbie just said. Yeah, you know, I just... Uh, now, it, it could be that God is beyond our understanding. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and that, um, you know, what the Bible says about him, there may be things just like in science and in nature. You know, as we study, as I've studied physics, you know, I know there are things about the way the world works that just don't make sense, that we can't uh, logically put together. It's beyond us. And so if I think it's good to do systematic theology, but if we sometimes come away and say, "Hmm, you know, this didn't seem to work out (laughs) as I hoped, you know, that may be all right. It may be that, well, it is. Uh, Somebody could probably quote the end of Romans 11, you know, that,
2: your comment comments, and you mentioned before that if you don't have a systematic theology, you're incredibly imbalanced. Yes. And if you're, your your ministry will be incredibly imbalanced, because you're going to get to a Hebrew six passage, and you'll say one thing, but then you'll say the completely opposite thing, when you get to another passage, and you need to you need to understand how you know. I, I like the thing of the idea of New York City. You have to have a map of the entire city to understand how things connect together. You know, yeah, there's no contradictions in the Bible, but when you are contradicting yourself week after week based on the text you're getting to, I think you're you become incredibly imbalanced. people, are, you know, like, where's this guy going? Where's he going? I, I don't know.
0: Yes. Uh,
2: so systematic theology, I think, helps to to see the entire Bible and how it all fits together like a big map of, of Europe, and like these are how it's situated. But you know, sometimes the map has to change if you understand the Bible, you know the Bible is an error, not our systematic theology. And sometimes our systematic theology needs to be changed yes. based on what the scripture is saying. And,
0: uh, yes. Yes. And, um, uh, I remember in one of my philosophy classes, uh, the teacher said, now you can criticize an author by saying, I don't understand what they're saying here. Um, And sometimes that's a valid criticism, except if you're stupid and, you know, (laughs) other other people understand it, you know, but you just use the excuse, I don't understand it. So with regard to some of these tensions, uh, you know, there are some things I look at and I say, I just can't make sense of that. And for right now, I just have to leave it. And other people look at it and they say, no, I I really think I understand how these things fit together. And they may be right. But, you know, if, if we don't have it all put together... You know, I think it's, at least under some circumstances, good to acknowledge that. Um, So uh, that's one of the challenges. Uh, Now, where are we here? Um, Okay, uh, the other thing, the other reason why um, uh, another thing kind of related to process theology is what was somewhat popular in some parts of evangelical theology, uh, like in the 1990s, the openness of God. And with regard to passages um, like First uh, uh, 1 Samuel 15.10, uh, that's probably written down there several times, but could somebody please read 1 um, Samuel 15.10? Okay. Yes. Uh, okay. 15.10. Uh, oh, no. Give it a shot.
1: The word of the Lord came to Samuel. I regret that. Good.
0: He has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandment. Okay. And Samuel was angry and he cried to the Lord. <sighs> I'm just impressed that Samuel wasn't ready to give up on Saul yet. Um, uh, recently, you know... Uh, I heard somebody say about another Christian, you know, they just aren't doing what they should do. You know, how can I get them to change? Um, and uh, I think that's what Samuel uh, was, was praying or concerned about. Uh, you know, how can I get Saul to change? How can I get God to change? Um, I think, but the main point was uh, that first thing. I regret that uh, I made Saul king um, this is how um, the openness of God treatment would come now God can know everything but he chooses not to know some things about the future so God chose to make Saul king uh, but he did not choose to access his possible information about the future and um, didn't know exactly how things were going to turn out. And um, so when Saul disobeyed God, uh, Saul regretted it. Or some translations may say, you know, he repented uh, that he made Saul king. Words, both of which, usually for us, include some significant change um, or lack of knowledge. And so this is how... Uh, open The openness of God people you know treated passages like this. They dealt with the tension uh, by saying, Well, maybe God chose not to know what Saul was going to do, and then he really you know this is a very plain, accurate description of how God felt when um, Saul disobeyed uh, over and over again um, well, that is. Maybe a valid attempt to try and do justice to what that passage says, and I think you know to the Hebrew that lies behind it, you know, and all those kinds of good study things. In my mind, it uh, you know solves one problem and introduces a thousand others. Uh, so you know, again, systematic theology. Uh, I don't think this is a good way to go. It uh, it doesn't really help us in the end. So. Uh, the openness of God is not the good way to go. Thank you for that clarification. Yes, yes. Um, That's my opinion. (laughs) And uh, I don't encourage any of you to study that unless you you have a special reason for that. Okay, so, but there are a number of passages in Scripture where, especially if you go to the King James, you know, say God repented or God relented uh, or God regretted and um, those are dealt with further down. Um, but here we are near the end of our class. So um, how should we uh, sum up here? Um, one, in, uh, we, we have the uh, repentance principle, as I describe it, uh, uh, spelled out in Scripture in that uh, Ezekiel passage um, and in Jeremiah, where it clearly says, "If I say I'm going to punish somebody and they repent, then I'm not going to punish them." Um, so, in that sense, God's not going to change, you know, if that happens. But His apparent plans for a person seem to change, from a, at least from a human perspective. Or, he says, in that same Ezekiel passage, if there's a good man, you know, and I say he's going to live, but he, you know, he starts sinning, then he's going to die. So that, I think, fits in very well with um, that next part. Uh, Tyler, could you read that, uh, um, uh, that second part all again is fine.
2: Which the change in response to
0: prayer? Uh, no, I'm sorry. Of in the, Gruden's summary statement, okay. yet because uh, right near uh, the front, um,
2: okay, God is unchanging in His being perfection.
0: Um, I think I can read this a little bit later down there. It, I say God acts and feels differently oh. in response uh, to different situations. Mm-hmm. Um. So from our perspective, uh, you know, God's plans seem to change because he says one thing's going to happen, the person changes, situation changes, and then he appears to change his mind. Um, and uh, let's see here. Um, And there's a lot (laughs) of interesting stories uh, about that. Likewise, uh, we have stories um, where, uh, let's see, I think there's a heading that says something about uh, change in regard to prayer. And uh, there's a lot of examples listed. Sometimes God changes his apparent plans in response to prayer. Sometimes he doesn't, um, and sometimes it to me is clear why he he does that, and other times it's not so clear. Um, ugh, I want things to be clear. Uh, I, I want you know. I want the Bible to read like a physics textbook, where you know each word means the same thing, you know, in every part of the book, and. Uh, uh, yeah. But God chose, I believe for very good reasons, not to write the Bible like a physics textbook. You know, he. Because uh, a lot of people don't like physics, you know. <laughs> uh, but anyway. Um, I have a quick comment? Yes.
2: I agree, which helps me, is a lot of the times uh, God says he's going to do something, but there's an there's a implied conditional clause at the end.
0: Exactly. So yes.
2: I'm going to do this unless you repent. But yes, that's what happened with Jonah and Nineveh. Yes, sometimes God said, "I'm going to do it," but He He will He will revert His wrath if people repent. And sometimes not actually listed in what God says, but it's implied.
0: And Jonah three is just a wonderful, heartwarming example of that. Uh, in my opinion, if you want a uh, you know special blessing, sometime read Jonah three. <laughs> uh, so, um, are, you, are you
1: thinking of that as the small print at the end of a contract <laughs>
0: you,
1: know, a
0: little <laughs> you could think of it that way but the issue is in the Bible at least sometimes the small print doesn't seem to be there you have to find it someplace else um, but that's okay I think uh, once I understand that you know what you never get the whole story. You know, if, if somebody were trying to record what happened in the Sunday school class today, you know, they probably would include how many times somebody breathed and how many times, you know, somebody else twitched. And sometimes those are meaningful, sometimes they're not. You never get the whole story. You can't. Because if it would take forever, or almost, you know, to read it. So everything is abridged. But God has abridged <laughs> his uh, description of reality in the Bible in a wonderful way so that we are able to read it and understand it and get truth from it um, and apply it to our lives. And so uh, here's where I want to uh, uh, end up. Um, under applications at the end. Uh, We've already looked at the Malachi passage, uh, which, you know, I could summarize by saying, uh, because God doesn't change, you and your present condition should change, and in response to that, God will change what he's doing uh, in and around you. Um, So... uh, that uh, is good news, uh, I would say. There's always a way back uh, to God. Um, and then you have those seeming examples in the Bible where there aren't. But if we're worried about getting back to God, you know, I, I think. Uh, uh, well, anyway, I'm happy about it. Um, finally, Psalm 102. Uh, some years ago, I read Psalm 102. And I thought, wow, this sounds a lot like Hezekiah. Uh, I wonder if Hezekiah wrote this psalm. Um, There's no indication about who wrote Psalm 102. By the way, I encourage you to turn, all of you, to Psalm 102 at this point. Um, But uh, as I was doing this study, I found it very interesting that this psalm, which I think more clearly than any other single passage in the Bible says God does not change uh, includes a prayer for God to change and he did it. Um, would somebody please read uh, Psalm 102 starting with verse 20, 23. Sure. Thanks. Has
2: broken my strength in midcourse, has shortened my days. Oh, my God! I say, take me not away in the midst of my days, you whose years endure throughout all generations.
0: So that well, whether um, Hezekiah wrote this psalm or not, that was Hezekiah's situation. God was cutting short his life, and then he asked God to change. You know, what he had declared would happen. And how does he, you know, carry on in his request to God? Please continue.
2: Of old you laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will change them like a robe and they will pass away. But you are the same, and your years have to have. The children of your servant shall dwell secure; their offspring
0: shall be established before you. God, please change from what you said you were going to do, because you do not change. You are the same, and so your people can count on you. And. Um, uh, so I have a summary statement at the end which I have since changed (laughs) Um, and and, uh, I would probably rewrite it you know from scratch but my temporary fix is this because um, God does not change um, we I can't read it so I'll just tell you to stick in the word apparent between uh, his and plans. Uh, could somebody read it with that edit? Uh, like it. Yeah.
2: Because God does not change, we can count on him to change his appearance plans for us as we change. So
0: and particularly as we draw near to him, uh, we can count on him to change the current situation and the apparent plans for good. Now, it may not be what we asked for or hoped for, like Paul's thorn in the flesh. uh, Prayed three times that God would take that away. But God had a really good plan. Uh, um, And Paul changed. He changed from one who was complaining and unhappy, maybe miserable because of his thorn in the flesh, uh, to someone who could rejoice in his weakness because God's strength was revealed in it. Um, So, um,
2: it kind of gets the the paradox of prayer, right? It does, it does. Jesus, I will do this, yet he commands us to pray that God will accomplish his purposes. So, you know, in a way like we're praying but God has already ordained that he is going to triumph over the, our enemy <clears throat> and God does to do us both and like that's you need to just keep doing keep those intentions we're going to pray but also trust that God's plan is you know he, he's declared the final victory and we're going to rejoice with him on that final day but yeah we're called to, to pray for this the, yeah that's come to pass come Lord Jesus the last words of the Bible we
0: are know he's going to come, but we're to pray it God. Yes, yes. Um, I don't understand how it works, but I do know this. God is faithful. He loves us. He doesn't change on that. And as we draw near to him, he is going to do something good uh, in our lives. Uh, and many times it will look like a big change, and other times it won't. But if we're there in the arms of Jesus, uh, that is a good thing. Uh, He is faithful. Yeah. So um, I'm going to close with prayer, and uh, then you will be free to depart or stay. (laughs) Oh, Lord, I... We don't understand you in your entirety. But we thank you for revealing so much about yourself to us. And we ask that we'll put that which we know into practice. Today, may we abide in you. That we may bear fruit for you. May we please you that we may share in your joy. May you use us to be a blessing to others. For the glory of Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Is that Chris? Yes. Hi, Chris.
1: (laughs) Do you, um...